Have you ever found yourself wondering about the role that Canadians played in old-time radio? Well, wonder no more. During the next 60 minutes, we'll delve into the careers of actors, writers, and directors who went abroad to find work, as well as those who stayed right here in Canada. Join me as together we explore Canadians in old-time radio. I'm Devin Wilkins, founder and president of COTRA, the Canadian Old Time Radio Alliance, and I would like to welcome you once again to Canadians in Old Time Radio. Let's start off with a bit of music with Tommy Hunter and his pals. Canada, the music of Tommy Hunter and his pals, brought to you by CBC Radio in association with your local station hosts. And here's Canada's country gentleman, Tommy Hunter. It's just my funny way of laughing, yes, my funny way of laughing. Your leaving didn't bother me. It's just my funny way of laughing, yes, my funny way of laughing. I'm really happy as can be. If you see me with a great big smile at some party where the fun runs wild, and tears start to flow and I fall apart, please don't think you've broken my heart. It's just my funny way of laughing, yes, my funny way of laughing. You're leaving, didn't bother me. It's just my funny way of laughing, yes, my. I'm really happy as can be If we meet on the street And a little bitty tear rolls down my cheek Please don't think it's because I'm blue That I'm still in love with you It's just my funny way of laughing Yes, my funny way of laughing Your leaving didn't bother me It's just my Funny way of laughing, yes, my funny way of laughing. I'm really happy as can be. Remember the day you left our place and how the tears rolled down my face. It wasn't because you were leaving me. I was happy because you were pleasing me. It's just my funny way of laughing, yes, my funny way of laughing. Your leaving didn't bother me.
so tired. Aren't you too young to feel so tired? Remember, your tiredness could be due to a vitamin deficiency or a lack of iron in your blood or both. And Geritol gives you both vitamins and iron to improve iron-poor blood and help you feel stronger. Working through the bloodstream, Geritol carries its vitamins and iron to every part of the body. Just two Geritol tablets or two tablespoons of Geritol liquid contain five vitamins, including thiamine, riboflavin, and niacinamide, plus the essential iron you may need daily. Aren't you too young to feel so tired? Check with your doctor. And if you feel tired because of a vitamin shortage and iron-poor blood, take Geritol to help you feel stronger. Ask your druggist for Geritol. It's Canada's favorite tonic. Here are Mike Mark and Jack, the Rhythm Pals, with Eddie Arnold's fine theme song, Cattle Call Voice. song, uh, I believe Eddie Arnold uh, sang it in a movie. Yes. And I believe that Jenny, Jenny Lou Carson was also featured in that movie. Yeah, you're right. I think it goes back about, oh, 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> At least. Bill, this is a, a very special day for the whole world. How about telling us a little bit about it? Right, Tom. 17 years ago today, the United Nations General Assembly proclaimed the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, one of the most impressive documents of our time. 
which stated that all human beings are born free and equal in dignity and human rights. They are endowed with reason and conscience and should act towards one another in a spirit of brotherhood. The Declaration goes on to list the rights. Security of person, health, education, equal justice before the law, the right to privacy, freedom of movement, freedom of thought, and many, many others. Now, we know, Tom, that 17 years later, these rights have not all been achieved throughout the world. We still have a long way to go to provide even minimal health and education services, to name only two. But enormous studies have been made, and on this anniversary of Human Rights Day, we'd all do well to point with pride to the work of our United Nations in this, the most vital area of all, the field of human dignity. Thank you very much, Bill. And maybe if more people in our part of the world thought like that, there'd be even greater progress in the less developed areas of the world. And now here's Mark Wald, his accordion, all the boys in the band. Do the Polka Marie. Mark, One, count it two. off. How about that? Mark Wald and his accordion and the Polka Marie. And now, once again, it's time for a local station break. Say, I noticed that item there in the window. Yes, sir. What's the price? It's marked right here. Good. That's what I wanted to spend. Made in Canada? That's right. I'll take it. You'll be happy with it. And you'll help a lot. How's that? Shop Canadian. Every time you make a purchase, you're helping employment and yourself. I didn't realize how much I was using. Everybody needs somebody. When price and quality compare, consider shopping just a little bit more Canadian. You'll help keep a good thing going. Made in Canada. I'll take it. given us so many songs of inspiration. Hank Williams was probably one of the top songwriters, 
And he also happened to write our song of inspiration today, I Saw the Light. for today. Just time to remind you that there's uh, two weeks from tomorrow is Christmas Day and uh, that we'll be back again on Monday. So on to then, this is Tommy Hunter. Have yourselves a real good day and be the good Lord willing, we'll be talking to you real soon. Bye-bye, everybody. Pals, produced by John Catalan with technician Norm Todd, are brought to you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday by CBC Radio in association with your local station hosts. This is the CBC Radio Network. CBL Toronto. To finish off our Made in Canada segment, I have something for you from CBC Comedy that you would never, ever have expected to hear in 1946. 
How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? It is our privilege to bring you at this time an eyewitness report of the first international trepidation contest. We are speaking to you from the ringside of the great Maple Leaf Auditorium, which is packed to the rafters with spectators, eager and curious. For the benefit of my listeners who are not acquainted with the facts relating to this event, it might be well to describe the two contestants. Lord Windesmere from uh, Wapping Fog Hall in Devonshire is, of course, the champion of the British Empire. The challenger is Paul Boomer, native son of Australia, who, I understand, worked his way to Canada in the crew of an ocean freighter carrying a load of Melbourne cabbage, upon which, uh, so it is stated, Boomer trains exclusively. Ah, uh, uh, I see now there's a bit of a flurry around Lord Windesmere's entrance. And yes, here he comes, Lord Windesmere. I'll see, I'll see if I can get him to come to the microphone and say a few words. Joe, Joe, will you see if we can get his, get his lordship to come over here for a minute? Uh, tell him it's for the radio. Okay, I'll get him for you. Uh, thanks. Well, uh, Lord Windesmere appears to be in good spirits. He's smiling and chatting. Thrown about him is a beautiful silk dressing gown of perfect purple velvet upon which is worked, I imagine, it to be the, the coat of arms of the House of Windesmere. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, good boy, Joel. Uh, in just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think we're going to have his lordship himself come to the microphone and say a few words. Right over here, please. Right over here. Yeah. Yeah, right here. Yes. Yes, folks, here he is, right at the microphone, the champion himself, Lord Windesmere. Uh, Your Highness, uh, how did you come to take an interest in this uh, unusual art? Well, I suppose you could say it all started over Lady Windesmere's fan. I see. Yes, I noticed she was constantly waving this fan in front of her face, so I asked her why the deuce she did it. And so she retorted that if I insisted on constantly crepitating, she had to fan away in pure self-defense, you see. Well, uh, my friends were drawn into the controversy and persuaded me to capitalize on my proficiency and sort of, uh, sort of going for it and all that. Uh, that's all. Thank you very much, Your Majesty. Thank you, and good luck to you. That was Lord Windesmere. A champion crepitator of the British... Oh, and here's a challenger. Here's Paul Boomer from Australia. Paul, over here, please. Please, ask Mr. Boomer to come over here, please. The radio. We want to speak on the radio. Just a moment, ladies and gentlemen. I think we'll have Paul Boomer for you right away. Yes, here he comes. His attendant has just pointed us out. And how did Paul... How? <laughs> he just waves his hand in greeting and starts walking over to the microphone. And here, ladies and gentlemen, is Mr. Paul Boomer. Uh, will you say hello to our audience, Mr. Boomer? Hello, Canada! Uh, now tell me, sir, when did you first realize that you were proficient enough to take a, uh, a shot at the uh, Empire Championship? Well, ever since I was a little nipper, I liked to fart. I remember I used to make my mother and father laugh their bleeding heads off when I used to let one go in church during the announcement of the ladies' aid. Excuse me, Mr. Boomer, on the radio, we call it... Uh, Crepitating. Now, look here, Cobber. What I always says is, a fart's a fart, whether you raise up on one cheek and sneak, or whether you give it a full blast like I do. Very well. As long as the CBC is no objection. <laughs> I personally find the four-letter word much easier to say and uh, more descriptive than the longer and more academic uh, crepitating. Thank you. And I would like to say... Oh, and there's the bell. Thank you, Mr. Boomer. And good luck. Paul Boomer hurries off to the center of the arena to meet the champion and to receive instructions. Now the house lights are dimming and the great flood of high-powered electric lights cascade down onto the center of this great arena where stands, in simple eloquence, uh, the farting post. The farting post is about four feet high and is decorated with red, white, and blue bunting up to about nine inches from the top. 
The bare top section is worn smooth by the grip of many hands in previous contests. And now it appears that Paul Boomer is to be the first at the post. Now that, I believe, is customary for the challenger to make the first effort. Yes, Paul Boomer takes off his dressing gown and strides to the farting post. He grips it firmly around the top and flexes his knees. The signal to commence has not yet been given, so we may assume that these are just preliminaries. I think I have time to describe Mr. Boomer's outfit. He's stripped from the waist up and wears a tight-fitting trunks of powder blue trimmed with scarlet. These trunks are similar to those worn by wrestlers with one important difference. <coughs> Excuse me. There's a hole about six inches in, the di in diameter removed from the seat. This, of course, has been done for obvious reasons. This symmetrical aperture is called the fenêtre du brise, literally translated meaning the Zephyr window. Mr. Boomer's fenêtre de brise has a scarlet trim around its perimeter, giving a very provocative air to this genial Australian backside. On oh, there goes the signal to commence. You might have heard it over my microphone. A, a blast on the medieval Bronx Suzar Spiegel, the traditional woodwind instrument associated with this sport for centuries. And now a hush falls on the, the vast throng as Boomer walks slowly, deliberately to the farting post. He's exuding confidence and he gives one last all-encompassing grin to the tense audience as he grips the farting post between a pair of hands that look as though they could splinter the post. Now he flexes his knees, much in the manner of a boxer. He seems to be concentrating on the very top of the farting post. You can hear a pin drop, and here it comes. Oh, a beauty, a beauty. I think it was a tr triple flutter blast. Yes, that's what the judge signals. A triple flutter blast. That gives him 25 points right off the bat. And, and another, another of the same, and another 25 points. That... Followed by one, followed by one, no, two fuzzy, I beg your pardon, three fuzzy farts in rapid succession. It's amazing how this man can change pace and style of offering by a slight, simple shifting of his buttock area. He's still gripping the post in complete concentration. Boomer now has a score of, uh, uh, of 65, those last three fuzzy farts at five points apiece, adding 15 to his previous score. And now here's something coming. A flooper! A flooper! A perfectly executed flooper! What's that? I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. That was a follow-up flooper. A follow-up flooper. The second time in the history of this sport that a follow-up flooper has been achieved in open competition. The only other time, I believe, was during the World Series held in Europe in 1783. During the course of this series, uh, Francois Fouf, the famous French father, after leaving... Uh, a follow-up flooper defeated Sandy McWind, his Scottish opponent, by only one bloop and then dropped dead. As you know, since then, in honor of Monsieur Fouf, the bloop had been dropped from open competition. And now the score is 105 for Boomer. Flooper, of course, counts 10 points, but a follow-up flooper, a very difficult maneuver, gives 40 points. Well, this certainly has been a whirlwind session. I think that Paul Boomer is about played out, or blown out, as they say. Uh -huh. What am I saying? There's a fuzzy file and another. That gives him 10 more points. And he's not through yet, apparently. Wait a minute, here comes uh, a threep. Oh, oh, a little threep. Worth only two points and very dangerous. Uh, and another, and, and another threep. Well, not bad. Well, he's certainly putting up a fighting finish. Four threeps, a very hazardous, uh, very hazardous fight because of the danger of plotching. But giving him eight, a very valuable point. And there he throws up his hands. He throws up his hands as a signal that he's finished. And the crowd gives him a tremendous ovation. He's, he's sitting down, looking a little pale, a little wan perhaps, but smiling 
smiling happily at the crowd. This man has a definite charm about him that has endeared him to all except the most rabid Windesmere fans. And uh, his result, wait a minute. Paul Boomer, 123 points! Did you hear that? Paul Boomer, 123 points, a world's record, beating Lord Windesmere's previous world mark of 119 by four points. Paul Boomer, this moment, is the world's champion. But for how long, we don't know, because Lord Windesmere might take it right back again. And here's his lordship now walking up to the post, apparently not in the least disconcerted by the brilliant performance of the challenger. He's outfitted a little differently from Paul Boomer. He has purple tights, full-length tights, and around the fenêtre de brise, you remember the hole cut out from the center of his seat, around this there's a fringe of little gold tassels about four inches long. This, no doubt, is some decoration affected by... But just a moment... Seems to be some sort of a dispute here. Paul Boomer and his seconds are on their feet and seem to be arguing with the judges and and pointing to the fringe on their champion's posterior. Oh, I see. I see Paul Boomer is claiming that the fringe might add a whistle or some other sound to Lord Windersmith's efforts and so increase their value. And after all, in a closely fought contest like this, every little advantage must be jealously watched. The judges appear to be agreeing with Paul Boomer and they direct the champion to remove the fringe. He doesn't like the decision very much. And the crowd is getting... The crowd's getting resentful. They think he should be a better sport about it. And I agree with him. Oh, he seems to have decided that he's got to give in. And he rips off the fringe and flings it to the ground. Then he walks over to where Boomer is sitting. He turns his back. Puts his hands on his hips and... Oh! Oh, he leaves a threep right in Paul Boomer's face. The crowd get a, a kick out of this. As you know, a threep is a very low scorer. Only two points but to throw one away just in a gesture of defiance demonstrates the spirit of dash and recklessness which has made the Englishman the champion that he is. He's smiling disdainfully now as he returns to the center of the arena. He nods to the judge to show he's ready. And he... Hello, what's this? He's not going to use a farting post. Lord Windesmere, the champion, in a final gesture of contempt, scorns the use of the farting post. Well, this is developing into a bit of a grudge contest. He has his hands on his hips, feet apart, knees slightly bent, and ah! a sizzler. His first attempt is... A, and another one. Two in a row. And another one. A third. Three sizzlers in a row. A tremendous effort. 60 points in his first 30 seconds. This one. And one, two, three, four. Four fuzzes. Four fragrant fuzzes in rapid succession. It's a pleasure to see the ease and comfort with which... His lordship leaves his fart. Perfect technique. And now his score is 80 points. 80 points in the first 30 seconds of the post. Now he's getting ready again. Hands on hips. A little bit red in the face as he strains to... Oh. Something there. Wait a minute. Something's wrong. His attendants run into him. He's in some kind of distress. I see. Yes, the judge's signal. It was a plotcher. Oh, hard luck, your lordship, sir. Hard luck. The champion left a very bad plotcher and will be penalized 15 points. That puts him back to 65 points, 59 short of the 124 he needs to retain his championship. He's all set again and seems to be straining a little more cautiously. And here is... A fundus break. Oh, a beautiful bit of wind-breaking virtuosity, a most 
difficult, a most difficult part to perform without plotting. This man has wonderful control, and the crowd are really warming up to him. That last, that, that fundus break counts 30 points, and it takes Lord Windesmere up to 95 points. It's getting very tense now, and here it is. Here is the next one. A trail blow, a trail blow. Ten points, followed, followed by a resounding single flutter blast. I think that is. Wait, uh, yes, the judges uh, proclaim that to be a, a single flutter blast. A lovely, a lovely change of pace there. And now the excitement is growing unbearable as the champion uh, takes a step away from the post and his score is 120. Just three points short of the Paul Boomer mark. Just three points short. If he gets one one more fuzzy or two small freaks. It's all over but the shouting. And the challenger will have to return to Australia with his shattered hopes. I think everyone's heart aches for Paul Boomer. He's really a great guy. But uh, Windy Smear steps up to the post again and looks very confident as he gets ready for the killing. And here it comes. Uh, a three. A three. That's two more points. A little small three was all it was. Two points. And now it's practically over. Just one more of those little freaks, those little two-point freaks in the contest will be over. It seems as though his lordship was deliberately tormenting Boomer by dallying. But Boomer's smiling. It's a forced smile, but he's trying hard. He's sitting there trying hard to take it like the grand sportsman that he is. But he can see defeat standing ready to sweep away his dreams at almost any instant. And now Lord Windesmere steps forward and... Hello... Hello, he's going to use the farting post for his final evidence. He grasps the post, uh, flexes his knees. It looks as though he's going to try for a high-scoring effort for a whirlwind finish. Perhaps another Sisler. And now he's trying very hard. The veins are, are starting out on his forehead, and even the trickle of perspiration venturing down his temple seems to hesitate so that this mighty last effort should have undivided attention. Now... Suggestion of a smile from the champion. He seems to have decided just what treatment is going to give this final bid. I see the audience almost to a man is on its feet, breathless and tense. He closes his eyes. A look of pure ecstasy on his face. Oh, oh he sits! The champion is disqualified! Ladies and gentlemen, as a special service feature, we have brought you direct from the ringside of the Maple Leaf Auditorium a blow-by-blow description of the first trepidation contest held under international auspices. This broadcast replaced midweek meditations usually heard at this time. Your narrator, Sidney S. Brown. From our Canadians Abroad segment... We feature Vancouver-born actress Anne Rutherford in the Eddie Bracken story, and this episode is from February 11th, 1945, and it's entitled Whole Day with No Trouble. Yeah, right. Impossible is the word to be found only in the Dictionary of Fools. This is the story of a man who believed that nothing is impossible. Therefore, he proclaimed to the world, I'm not going to get in any trouble today. 
He stood at the open window in his pajamas, facing the dawn of a new day, repeating over and over, I'm not going to get into trouble today. I'm not going to get into trouble today. And got a sore throat. <laughs> yes, this is the story of Eddie Bracken. Eddie Bracken spent all day Monday in bed, and the whole town was thrown off balance. Oh, isn't it peaceful today? Oh, I wonder if something's happened to Eddie Bracken. Yes, this is Sheriff Pringle. No, I haven't seen Eddie Bracken today. No news is good news. Awful quiet around here today. Too quiet. I'll bet this is some of Eddie Bracken's doing. So as the clock struck midnight, Eddie was convinced he had hung up a record. Nobody was sore at him. Not even his throat. Gee, I made it. A whole day and no trouble. <laughs> Between you and me, Eddie doesn't know that clock is five minutes fast. Oh, Eddie! Oh, Eddie! Gee, Connie, did you throw that big rock through the window? I'm so sorry. I just wanted to wake you up. You nearly put me to sleep. Eddie, I know it's late, but will you do me a big favor? Oh, gee, sure, Connie. I'd be glad to. What do you want me to do? Go climb a tree. Why, sure. I... What did you say? I want you to climb the tree outside my window. I lost my key and I have to get in without waking Papa. Oh. But your father sleeps in the next room and... and... Eddie, I'm only asking you to climb up to my room and open the window. You said you'd climb the highest mountain for me. Yes, but your father wouldn't be sleeping up there. <laughs> Forget it. I'll get somebody else. He's not very broad-minded about, about... Who else? Well, it was a choice between you and Otto. Otto? I guess I should have gone to Otto in the first place. I'm sure he wouldn't mind climbing up to my bedroom window. You know Otto. <laughs> yeah, wait, I'll put some clothes on over my pajamas. I'm the big branch at the top. Is this your window? Yes. Come in and come downstairs and let me in. I'll wait here at the front door. Well, how do you like that? It was open all the time. Open all the time? You mean to say you had me get out of... Who's there? Who's out there? Speak up or I'll shoot. How do you do, Mr. Monaghan? Eddie <laughs> Bracken. Where are you? I'm... Out on a limb. Are you trying to peek in my daughter's window? Oh, no, Mr. Monaghan. I wouldn't do a thing like that. No? No. I was just trying to get in her room. <laughs> you were what? I, I mean, I... Come, I mean, on, I've got oh, you. Come in here. I'm a boy. Let go of that limb, you wait. Let go! Oh, please, Miss Monaghan. My pants are caught. You don't understand, Miss Monahan. I was just bringing Connie home and... and I got and... doors in this house, haven't I? Honest, Mr. Monahan, I can explain everything. Arthur, you're getting absent-minded in your old age. You forgot to lock the front door. Never mind what I forgot. What's the idea of breezing in at this time of night? Oh, Papa! And never mind the... Oh, Papa! Where have you been? I just went for a ride. 
I had to walk home. So, <laughs> Eddie got fresh with you. Oh, no, Mr. Monahan. Why, no. you turtle face. No, no, I, I, was, I didn't know what I was doing, and then the next thing I knew, she hit me on the head with a rock, and... What do you and... expect when you start making passes? <laughs> Papa! You shut up and go to bed. I'll get rid of this tree-climbing Romeo. Come on! But, Mr. Mr. Monahan, I, I, I'm just trying to tell you, I really didn't do it. I... I'll learn you to go around peeking in windows. But, Mr. Monahan, I... Uh, please, Mr. Monahan... And the next time you stick your big snozz all around here, you'll get worse than... I do. My gosh, you're one of them. I, I... All right. I'll say I was with you tonight. Oh, say, Betty. Now go right down and tell Sarah Pringle about the car. About the car? <laughs> yes, we used Papa's car without exactly asking. And while we were up on Observation Hill, we got held up. And the car was stolen. Well, all right. I'll hurry right over to... Stolen! <laughs> Good evening, Sheriff Pringle. I'll go home, Eddie. I had to see you, so I went by your home, but Mrs. Pringle said you were working late. Eddie, I have enough trouble on my hands. Go home. Yes, sir, but I want to report a holdup in a stolen car. Oh. Uh, license number 60Q902. Mr. Monahan's car. It was stolen up on Observation Hill. Huh. Who'd go up there with Monahan? <laughs> up there. He doesn't even know about it yet. I see. You were up there with Connie. Haven't I told you kids to stay away from there? Yes, sir, but... Uh... You don't catch my son Jerry up there. No, sir, you don't catch him. <laughs> well, I'm not going to bore you out, Eddie, because you came in just the right moment. I did? Yeah. Come to the next room. I'm pretty sure I caught the man who held you up and stole the car. Oh. All I need is for you to identify him. Why, yes, sir, I'll be very... Identifying? Yes. But, but there he is. That's the man, isn't it? Is it? What do you mean, is it? 
Is he or isn't he? It's a frame-up. I'm innocent. I've never seen this guy before in my life. You keep quiet. Well, Eddie, what have you got to say? But I... <clears throat> but I have a glass of water. Look, I... Eddie. I'm holding him in a John Doe warrant. If you don't identify him, I'll have to let him go. Now, is he or isn't he the man that stole that car? It's like this, Sheriff Pringle. I had a sore throat and I didn't get in any trouble all day until I could hit on the head with a rock and help a certain person get in a certain person's house. And I promised that certain person I'd say something. But when I said it, I didn't know what I was saying. That's why I can't say. See? <laughs> Wait a minute. Say that again. Slowly. I said... Uh... Eddie, you're deliberately obstructing justice. Get out of this jail before I put you in jail. Yes, sir, but but I, I never want to lay eyes on you again, understand? Never. But, but no, sir. I, I mean, yes, sir. I... Get out! Thanks to you, pal, for not identifying me. Eddie, from now on, you and me are buddies. Oh, but I couldn't identify you. I never saw you before. Ah, that's the way I like to hear you talk, Eddie boy. You're a sweet guy. But you don't understand, I... I... It was dark. How could you see me when I snuck up on that car when you and that dame was... was... was what? <laughs> you know. <laughs> yes, sir? Yes, sir, in all my life, I've never seen a finer example of the Christian spirit of forgiveness. Yes, but, uh, what were we doing in the car? Did I have my arm around her? <laughs> Did you have your arm around her? <laughs> Gee... I tell you, Eddie, what you did is enough to make a guy reform. To tread the straight and narrow. To face the world with head held high and his hands in his own pockets. <laughs> did, did you see me kiss her? <laughs> did I see you kiss her? <laughs> Gee. And did she sock you on the snoot? She did? Oh, gosh, that's well. Eddie, Eddie, my faith in human nature is restored. Yeah, mine too. You'll find, you'll find your car over behind the freight yards. And here, Eddie, here. Take the suitcase. She really socked me, huh? Real hard, huh? I want you to return all the stuff I've been stealing. It's all in there. So long, Eddie. So long. Gosh. She slapped his face. Oh, boy. She... Hey! I don't want the suitcase! It's got all the... It's... Oh. Hey. Well, while Eddie is on his way to return Mr. Monaghan's stolen Model T. Hmm, sounds like a police siren, doesn't it? I wonder if Eddie is getting into more trouble. Well, we'll find out in a moment, I guess.
I'm sorry we cannot return you to Eddie Bracken. No visitors are allowed in the jail. Somehow or other, Eddie couldn't convince the officer that it was perfectly all right for him to be driving a stolen car. However, Eddie will be out in a few moments. Mr. Monaghan has declined to prefer charges. Doesn't sound like Mr. Monaghan, does it? How come you're not preferring charges against Mr. Monaghan? Because I prefer you to mind your own business, see, copper? Go get him. Okay, okay. That's the stuff, Papa. Speak right up. You're a good customer in this jail. (laughs) But if you'd have told me the truth last night, I wouldn't be here warming this bench. But I didn't think you'd believe I was sitting up with a sick friend. It sounded so, so sort of fishy. Listen, when you've lived as long as your old man, you know when somebody is slipping you a curve. So don't ever try it. Papa, I wouldn't ever dream of such a thing. Why, I sat up with my girlfriend until midnight. When I came out, the cop was gone. My house key was in it, so I had to get Eddie to help me. Gee, Mr. Monaghan, thank you very much for getting me out. It's okay. I finally got the truth out of Connie. Oh. And she told you I wasn't up on Observation Hill with her when the car was stolen. <laughs> yeah. But J- Eddie... That, that she was up there with Jerry Pringle and... Uh... Jerry Pringle? <laughs> Come here, come here. So you were sitting up with a sick girlfriend, huh? Daddy, sometimes I could kill you. Well, gee, Connie, he said you told him the truth. So Are you that's calling a... me a liar? Oh, no. What's going on here? Good morning, Sheriff Pringle. Eddie, are you still here? No, sir. I'm back again. <laughs> Keep your shirt on, Joe. I'll handle it. I don't want any trouble from you either, Monaghan. I've been out all night. I haven't had any sleep. I haven't had any breakfast. Uh-huh. I caught cold. All on account of Eddie, and, uh... And you'll be flat on your back if your son ever takes my daughter up on Observation Hill again. Jerry, who said he did? Who said so? Eddie said so. Eddie, Eddie, Eddie. Every time I turn around, it's Eddie. What can I do with him? May I make a suggestion? <laughs> get out of here. All of you, get out. Who's telling who to get out? This is a public jail, see? I can stay for as long as I like. You will, too, if you don't shut up, Papa. Oh, Eddie, help me get him out of here. Maybe we ought to go, Mr. Monaghan. What this town in the of the sheriff who can get something besides a cold? Somebody stole my watch last week, see? But... Get out of here! But do you get it back? No! Eddie, help me push him. That's it. Get out! Just wait till the next election. I got influence. I'll get my large brothers to vote for a one-eyed Missouri mule before they vote for you. Get out! That's telling them. Yes, there's nothing like buttering up the right people. Here's your car, Mr. Monaghan. Would you like me to drive? No, I wouldn't like you to drive. Hey, whose suitcase is this in the back seat? The suitcase? Suitcase? Oh, gosh. I meant to give it to Sheriff Pringle. What are you talking about? Well, you know all those holdups and burglaries around town? Well, that's all the stuff that was stolen. And in my car? Eddie, how did you get it? Well, I was just walking down the street and... With you, that explains everything. Not with me, it doesn't. How do you open this thing? Oh, brother. Look at all that hot stuff. Oh, well, don't worry, Mr. Monaghan. I'll get it out of your car. Take your hands off. I want to look for my watch. <laughs> I know that Joe Pringle in his red tape. If he ever got his hooks on it, I'd never see it again. Louie asked me to return the stuff for him, but I don't know who it belongs to. Yeah, well, I know who this locket with the sparklers in it belongs to. Oh, you do? Sure, it belongs to Joe's wife. Oh. I was in the jewelry store when he bought it. He said it was a Christmas present for her. 
the sweetest little woman in the world. The hatchet-faced old battle-axe. <laughs> oh, yes, there's the inscription. All my love, Joe. Oh. Well, I'll take it right over to her. Maybe that'll fix things up between me and the sheriff. I'll be back just as soon as I take this locket to Mrs. Pringle. Pringle? Why is he taking it to Mrs. Pringle? You just said you saw Joe buy it for his wife. Well, is Joe Pringle the only Joe in town? I was talking about Joe Robertson. But, Papa, maybe Mrs. Pringle will think her husband bought it for some other woman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> Eddie, come in. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Pringle. Boy, are you going to get excited when you find out what I have? Really? What? Well, you remember what Sheriff Pringle gave you for Christmas? Yes, the cookbook. And I've been cooking for 20 years. I mean the present that was stolen. Stolen? I'm talking about this diamond locket, Mrs. Pringle. I wouldn't have known it was yours. Only Mr. Monaghan said he saw your husband buy it. <laughs> Is that so? Uh-huh. He, he heard your husband say it was for the sweetest little woman in the whole world. Is that so? Uh -huh. Let me see that locket, Eddie. Oh, I should have known it was yours by the inscription on it. See, it says, All My Love, Joe. Gee, <laughs> I never suspected he was so romantic. I did. But I never had the proof before. <laughs> well, you certainly have the proof now. Yes, thanks to you, Eddie. Ah. Uh, that's all right, Mrs. Pringle. You know, your husband is kind of mad at me, but I'm sure this will fix things up. <laughs> oh, oh, here he is now. Hello, dear. I'm home. Uh, oh. <laughs> Hello, Sheriff Pringle. Martha, is Eddie really standing there, or have I cracked up? <laughs> well, who is she? Who? Who is she? Who's who? Martha, I tell you, I'm tired. You don't know where I've been all night. Oh. I, I've been chasing all over town. Oh. And he's taken to my face. Look at this locket. Look at it. Well, what about it? What about it? I know you gave it to some woman. Who is she? Eddie saw you buy it. He heard you say it was for the sweetest little woman in the world. He what? Oh, Mrs. Pringle. He heard you with his own eyes. He saw you with his own ears. But, Mrs. Pringle, I said... I tell you I don't know anything about it, and Eddie's a bare-faced liar. Oh, no, Sheriff Pringle. I wasn't lying. I Mr. said you're a liar. Martha, I'll kill him, so help me. I'll kill him. Oh, you dick. But, Eddie, here, take your locket. But, Martha... Don't you mock me. I'm taking the children and going home to mother. Martha... <laughs> Goodbye, Sheriff Pringle. I I think I'd better uh, go now. I, I told Connie and Mr. Monahan I'd be right back and and, and and oh oh no no Sheriff Pringle. No, no, please don't, Sheriff Pringle, please don't oh! now you try to break up my home. Start talking. Where did you get that locket? I'm out of the Suitcase. What suitcase? Uh, you are stra strang strang strangling me. What suitcase? <laughs> the suitcase with all the things that was stolen. Oh, you have the 
of stolen goods. That's why you didn't identify Louis last night. You couldn't. Yeah. No, sir. Because you're the one who's guilty. Do you deny it? I, 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 I can't. I can't. I can't. You can't deny it? I can't. Get my breath. <laughs> Martha! Martha! Come back! I squeezed the confession out of Eddie Bracken. <laughs> you in the next cage. It's me, Louie. Louie DeLouse. <laughs> well, they caught you again? Oh, gee. Now maybe they'll let me go. Am I burned up? All my life I've been a social problem. Taking things where I find them and I never get caught. Then I meet you. I see the light. I reform. I give back everything I had. And what happens? I get picked up as a vagrant. <laughs> I was a joke. Oh, no, Louie. You did the right thing. I'm going back to being a social problem. But this time it'll be big time. Thanks, stick-ups and safe-cracking. My faith in human nature is utterly immoralized. <laughs> well, you shouldn't talk that way, Louie. If you have faith in people, people will have faith in you. People are good and honest and... and... Yeah? Nuts. When I get out of here, I'm going to stick up every bank I see. But, Louie, you shouldn't say that. Uh, you you From should... now on, banks is my specialty. Oh, but... Betty Bracken? Huh? You got company. Oh, Andy, what have they done to you? Oh, I'm all right, Barbara. I'd have been here sooner, but I stopped to bake you this cake. Oh. Oh, gee. Thank you very much, Barbara. Uh, see what I mean, Louie? People are good and honest. And be careful when you bite into it. <laughs> There's a saw in it. <laughs> a saw? And I have a car waiting outside at midnight with the motor running for <laughs> our getaway. We'll go somewhere and start a new life together. Papa. I'll stick by you, Eddie. But, Papa, I'm innocent. It's all a mistake. Oh, it is? Are you sure? Listen, Tootsie, if he don't want that saw, I'll take it. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, Barbara, uh, this is Louis DeLouse. Oh. How do you do, Mr. DeLouse? <laughs> Louis was arrested as a vagrant. I was never so humiliated. Louis, what you should do is face the music. You prove that you're a good man. The judge will take all that into consideration. And when you get out, I'll vouch for you. I'll help you get a job here in town. Eddie Bracken? Huh? I got some news for you. You're being relieved. Oh. Isn't Sheriff Pringle mad at me anymore? I don't know. Connie Monaghan brought the order. She's waiting for you. Connie? For me? Yep. Oh, gee. Oh, Eddie, I wanted to be the one who helped you get out. Uh, hey, how about leaving that cake with me, huh? Hey, that's a mighty nice-looking cake. Can I have a piece? Oh, oh, no, 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 I, I haven't time to cut it. I, I mean, it isn't mine. I mean, I'll, 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 I'll have to take it home.
can't stop now, Barbara. I'm on my hey, way. You know that man in the next cell? Huh? The one you said was a good man, and you'd help him find a job when he got out? Well, I don't think he'll be out for quite a while. He's out now. I got him out for you. Well, that's very nice of you. Out? For me? After all, he was only a vagrant, and all you have to do to get a vagrant out is to give him a job. So I told my Uncle Willie you said he was a good man and you'd vouch for him, and so my Uncle Willie bailed him out and gave him a job as watchman. <laughs> In the bank. The bank, that's where I'm going. I have to pull some money out of my... The bank! <laughs> The Eddie Bracken story was written by Robert Riley Crutcher and produced by Man Hollimer. Music composed and conducted by Lee Harleen. Mr. Monahan was played by Bill Demarest, Connie by Ann Rutherford, Barbara by Janet Waldo, Sheriff Pringle by Alan Bridge, Mrs. Pringle by Elvia Allman, Louie by Wally Mayer, the jailer by Will Wright. Your narrator, Jim Bannon. The Eddie Bracken story is brought to you each Sunday at this time by the makers of Fleischmann's Yeast and Fleischmann's Blue Bonnet Margarine. <laughs> This is the National Broadcasting Company. Well, I certainly hope you've enjoyed tonight's presentations and that you'll be able to join me next week. Until then, bye for now. If you've enjoyed the shows you've heard during the past hour, be sure to tune in again next week, same time, same station, when once again, we'll listen to programs that are remembered today thanks to the involvement of Canadians in old-time radio. This is Devin Wilkins speaking.